Jesus, we honor you. We thank you, Lord. Come on, keep laughing for him. We thank you, Lord. What an amazing sacrifice you've made for us. What a joy. What an honor it is to be called by you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Be seated. As uh, as um, as we've just been said before, the uh, as Pastor was saying before, we just want to lay word foundation because I found that if all you have is ministry dimensions happening, you you actually carry away the experience, but not understanding of what really was going on or how to reproduce. So you actually have understanding as well. So we need understanding and wisdom, and and we need to encounter and have experience. So we try to build it so all these things are happening. So today we lay foundations. When I do Bible schools overseas, we always take a day or so to lay foundations and gradually move it into, and then it's all on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I brought along my friend, Pastor Ian here. Great to have you with us. <laughs> He's always ready to manifest on cue. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right. <laughs> Let's have a look in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28. Matthew 12 and verse 28. And, uh, and uh, this session is called the kingdom of God and deliverance. The kingdom of God and deliverance. So the first session, we looked at the ministry of Jesus. And you see right from the very beginning, the purpose, the focus, uh, an outcome of Jesus' ministry was to set people free, to bring freedom, and then finally his life culminates on the cross with paying the price for that freedom, which we'll look at another in another session. So I want to now look, Jesus' message constantly was the kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom, and that's a very vast topic to teach on, And but I need to bring a little bit of it out today so we have a bit of an understanding of it. Now let's just read in Matthew 12 and verse 28. Now the context of this in verse 22 they had bought him one who was demon-possessed. That was the word daemon adzai, to be under the influence or to be held by a demon. And it caused him to be blind and mute. And Jesus healed him, so the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. The multitudes were amazed. And of course, there was a conflict and false accusations come. They're accusing them in casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And uh, so there's this conflict takes place whenever there's deliverance. So you have to understand when you determine your move in deliverance, there is a stirring of the invisible spirit world. And those who are under its influence, often without realizing it, react to the ministry of deliverance. So you'll find when you start to move in deliverance, some are attracted and drawn because hope is given to them of getting free. Others are drawn and attracted because for them, this is an exciting reality that God's kingdom and the message is real. For others, they become hostile and reactionary and sometimes can chase you out of the area. <laughs> Jesus had that happen to him. So, uh, so when, there's never a neutral place over all of this. It's just never a neutral place over. It's just something like deliverance that seems to polarize. It's just, it just brings a sword straight down, and you're either going to move one way or the other, and it reveals a lot about you which way you move. <laughs> so let's read in here. And Jesus said, if I, 
uh, cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus has just ministered deliverance. There's a reaction from religious leaders of accusation, false accusations uh, about him and what he's doing and so on. And then Jesus begins to uh, share some things. And one, this verse here has got a lot in it. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the first thing we see, there's a whole number of things you can see if you just take time to dwell on these passages. The first is that there is an invisible clash going on between two kingdoms which are invisible. And that clash is outworked in the physical realm. So the invisible spirit world interacts with the physical world. The physical world interacts with the spirit world. In other words, things that happen in the spirit world influence people's thinking and decisions, but then the decisions and choices people make also move things in the spirit world. So we either activate and cause there to be a response from God uh, as we pray his will into being, and there's angelic movement and there's a movement of the kingdom of God, or by taking sinful actions, we can open the door to empower and increase the activity of demons. So there is uh, an invisible warfare going on between two invisible kingdoms, and the outworking is seen in the physical realm through the representatives of those kingdoms. Okay, so this is the first thing to see. So uh, you notice there that deliverance uh, demonstrates the superiority of the kingdom of God. A demon is overcome. Now, I found I've just loved going to Asia because there people, uh, they live aware of the spirit realm and they're frightened of the spirit realm. And then for them to see demons they are afraid of overcome by the power of the Holy Ghost and the gospel, it immediately attracts them. I remember I was talking to a, I met a a guy from the gangs, a Maori guy, and uh, I remember thinking, how am I going to witness to this guy, Lord? What can I do to connect with him? And uh, obviously there's a bit of a cultural bridge, you know, and I, I felt the Lord, and the Lord, I just asked him this, I said, I said, you're, you're a Maori from Maori culture. It's very spiritual people. Can you tell me, have you ever had any spiritual experiences? He said, oh, I've had heaps of them. I said, oh, I'd love to hear about them. Tell me about them. So we spent the ne- I spent about the next half hour listening when he told me all these different experiences he's having. And they're all demons, of course. And so I, I drew him out. I was interested to find out. And, and of course, he, he really told me a lot of stuff, quite amazing stuff. And uh, I said, well, tell me, are there any of these spirits good? He said, no, not one. I said, that's a bit of a concern then, isn't it? I said, what do you do to get rid of them? And he said, well, he said, I went to the Tohong and asked him what to do. And he said, go down and bathe in the sea. I said, did it work? He said, well, it seemed to temporarily, but the next day they're all back again. And I said to him, what have I told you about a spirit that's stronger than all of those spirits? And it's, it's a good spirit. And it could overpower them. Would you be interested in hearing? He said, yeah, of course. And so I had the chance to share with him about Jesus, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and then uh, presented the gospel to him, invited him to respond. He said, I'll think about it. And then he came out the next day to receive Christ. And then we prayed for him to get set free. So, but, but you understand in a spirit culture, people are aware of and terrified by the spirit realm. And that's why they do offerings to spirits, even in cultures like, you know, that you would think are educated. No, they still do this because they are in bondage to demonic powers. 
and uh, a sacrifice or the altar is God's designated way of making exchanges and engaging the spirit world. So altars are God's idea. And power, protection, and provision come via altars. And so you find in the Old Testament, of course, they were always building altars. Men who walk with God built altars. Altars were places of connecting to God or thanking God or making memorial to what he had done. But they are places where when the altar is built, there's an opening in the spirit realm. Yeah, I, won't, I don't want to get sidetracked. I want to stay with the, the kingdom right now. But uh, So altars are, are very, very important. There's, there's uh, godly altars and there's evil altars. And when an evil altar is set up, then something happens. There's an access from the spirit world to the natural world for demons to access. And so that can be some houses are like that. You go into the house. That's what first got me into deliverance. We got into uh, got an assignment to do school teaching in uh, Hastings. Uh, sorry, Danny Burke. And uh, the the I went to bed. I've only been there about two days, I suppose. We went to church, and uh, it was uh, we were recommended to go to uh, Pastor Duncan Graham. And uh, we went there, got sharing with him at lunchtime, and got excited about the Holy Ghost. Came home, and uh, I, I I was watching a bit of TV. Went to bed, and after I lay down on my bed, I saw this big black tall figure walk into the room. I uh, just terrified, absolutely terrified, and I couldn't breathe. I was just, <clears throat> and and every hair on my body standing up, and I couldn't speak. But all I could do in my mind was think and call out Jesus, and uh, and then Joy woke up praying, and then I turned the light on, and I was so didn't know what to do, but this was real. This was very real. And, of course, we've been able to help many people get rid of that terror of the night, which comes and torments people and molests them, all kind of stuff. But it was in the house, and the house needed to be cleansed because something that previous occupants had done had created an altar that allowed a pathway or a portal for the demon to have legal right to enter the house. And when we shut all of that down, then there's no more problem like that. I had a, another situation. I had a, a, a lady rang me up. She's in a panic. She said, oh, Pastor, Pastor, can you come and pray? Our house is haunted. I'm thinking haunted house, thinking Walt Disney, you know, like a big <laughs> big house. And, and anyway, I go, there's only a two-bedroom flat. It's a bit boring, really. And uh, so I go in there, and then there's four people in there, and there's the, the, the woman and the guy she's living with, and there's the daughter and the guy she's, she's living with, and they're in terror. They really are in terror. And I can see the fear on their faces. I said, can you do something? Can you do something? I said, well, first of all, I need to establish how this has happened. Then I can deal with it very easily. So as we started to talk, the, there was a noise took place. You could hear it up the other end of the house. The door was banging. Bang, 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 bang. There's obviously a spirit being manifesting in the physical house. And they are panicked at this thing. So I said, look, I can deal with it in just a moment. Just, I want to ask you a few questions. How long has it been happening? Oh, two weeks. And I said, was anything happened two weeks ago that uh, pri just prior about that time? She said, oh, yeah, my daughter and her boyfriend came to live with me. And I'm thinking, okay, let's focus over here. And I said, well, um, did you have this problem before you came here? They said, yes, we had it where we were, and that's why we've come here <laughs> to get away. I said, well, you brought it with you. <laughs> now your mother's terrorized. 
And I said, now, when you have a manifestation like this, this is an occult spirit. This is operating out of an evil altar somewhere. Someone has been involved opening a portal to the spirit for demonic spirits. So I said, which one of you did it? Neither. They said, no, 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 no. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Then I thought, who of you slept with someone who did that? And there was a silence. And the girl said, that was me. It was my last boyfriend. I said, and he cursed you as, he, as you left. And she said, yes, he did. And I said, well, when you were joined to him in an unlawful joining, you've now given legal right for the demon to come. And he's, 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 he's uh, sent a verbal curse on you. And now the spirit is attached to you. It's come and it's got free movement to terrorize everyone in the home. And I said, so what we need to do is you, I said, the end, I said no, there's really little I can do. Only Jesus can do something about this. So we need Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. So we shared the gospel message, led him to the Lord and prayed and delivered them, got the house cleaned up. So, so doorways can be opened up. We'll touch on that in another session. We'll talk about the, the doorways into the spirit realm. So, uh, <clears throat> so deliverance then demonstrates that the kingdom of God is superior to the kingdom of darkness. So I love it when it happens on a grand stop. People are attracted. So in New Zealand, seems like sometimes people run away. Other, but in Asian countries, they all are attracted because they know it's real. They'll gather uh, because they understand there's a spirit realm. They want to be free. And the moment deliverance happens, you want to hide it in the back room, just let people see it and say what it is. This is now the kingdom of God manifesting in front of your eyes. There is a hidden world. There is good, there is evil, and good is overcoming evil. Yeah. Put it in simple terms. Yeah. Wow, okay. And, and people can understand it. And, uh, and then, of course, that, that when, when it happens openly like that, then the demons that are in other people will really get on the alert highly. So whenever there's tangible manifestations, anyone else who's got a demon gets agitated. So while this is happening here, I'm usually looking around to see the agitated one start to move there. Boom, it's all on everywhere. Oh, I'm starting to get excited. I'm just stay, I've got to stay in. There's more to lay the foundation. Some might be getting agitated now, of course. Okay, so notice there he says, I cast them out. So deliverance requires a person empowered by the Holy Ghost. Deliverance, the, the ministry of deliverance, you just can't pray, God, you do it. Oh, God, we give this to you, you do it. It's not going to work like that. Authority is given to us to do this. Therefore, uh, deliverance takes place when a person is empowered by the Holy Ghost. The next thing is deliverance is a face-to-face -face confrontation with evil spirits. It's actually a confrontation. So there's got to be an arising from within your spirit in doing this. There is a confrontation. You are no longer addressing a person. You're now addressing a spirit being. So a confrontation. Now, people tend to avoid that, but that word cast out is the word ek bellow. I hurl by force out from its hidden place. So that's not just a prayer that God will do it. This is actually the applying of spiritual authority. It's the governing or ruling over the spirit. And that's what's required in it. <laughs> and that's the thing that you have to understand is that God wants you to learn how to assert authority and dominion and bring heaven to the earth. That is what we were made for. That's what we're designed for. That's what God has constructed. That's part of his whole purpose for us. So when we flee this ministry, usually it's because either we don't know what to do and how to do it, 
or we're in bondage to spirits of fear of some kind. Just think about that. Think about that. I'll get to it. I'll just show, open up a little bit more and you see this. There's no, there's no believer left out of this ministry. None whatsoever. And I'll show you why shortly. How it's, it's built into God's design for you. You're designed for it. You're made for this. It's God's purpose that you would engage in this. That's why you don't want to pull back or, or just, just, just say, I'm going to learn. And I'm going to overcome my fears and, and learn from it, okay? So notice here, if I, by the Spirit of God. So you can't, you can't do deliverance without the Spirit of God. And generally, He doesn't do it without you. So there can be an atmosphere of glory deliverance, and then God does it all without us. Everyone wants that, of course. But the rest of the time, you're moving by faith or with the Holy Ghost giftings, and you have to do some work. You do it, and so it requires partnering with the Holy Spirit. I can't do it without him. He won't do it without me. And so we work together. So that's why men are anointed to do these things. Okay, then the next thing is deliverance then requires faith. It's a working of miracles. Therefore, it requires faith. These signs follow them who believe. So you've got to believe as you command, something will happen. And of course, initially when you command, nothing happens. And then doubts flood your mind about your authority or ability or about even how real this is. You feel silly. You actually feel stupid talking to something that you can't see. But Jesus spoke to trees, spoke to, uh, spoke to storms, spoke to diseases, spoke to demons. That's how you operate in the Spirit. You operate by verbal command. And so you cast them out by a verbal command and asserting spiritual authority and pressure on them. That's how it's done. Cast them out. <laughs> oh, dear. Don't you love it all, eh? So, and of course... Deliverance, to operate in deliverance requires surrender and kingdom alignment. To operate in deliverance requires surrender and kingdom alignment. This is very, very important because to operate with authority, you must operate under authority. Okay? So in James 4 verse 7, it uses the scripture in the general same context it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that word flee is run in terror. Demons will run in terror from you because they recognize you are acting on behalf of someone else. That's what it means to act with authority. See, to, to move with authority means I have been delegated the legal right to represent my father. I'm a son. So I can only operate under being submitted to what he wants done. So that requires in surrender, a daily surrender, a daily yielding, and it requires alignment. Alignment means you intentionally bring your life into God's order. You intentionally bring your life into God's order. As we'll see later when it comes to demonic doorways, Every area of your life that is not in order or aligned is a potential area for you to be defeated. So if I want to walk in authority, I must surrender to authority. And Jesus himself did. 
he practiced surrender to authority, even at the age of 12 when he's in the temple and his parents don't understand why he's there. And he said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? At the, he's at the age now where he comes under governors and tutors who prepare him for the father's trade. So he's at the temple asking questions and answering their questions. And they said, no, get in behind. Come on home. So often we don't look at it, we don't realize there was a massive conflict there between trying to fulfill the will of God and remaining under the authority of his parents. And it says he was subject to them. And then it says in Luke 2.52, he says he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. In other words, God was pleased that he submitted to his parents. So instead of being raised in the corrupt religious system, he was raised out of sight in a different environment where he learned to trade and learned to work and run a business for the family and so on. Now, you think, okay, well, what about when he got 30? Well, the next thing at 30, you see, most of us, if we go, well, now's my time. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's put some pictures out and start to advertise. No, he didn't do that. He goes and submits himself to the anointed ministry of the hour, to the prophetic word. He goes and crosses the nation and submits himself to the ministry of John the Baptist. In other words, he places himself under authority before he even goes into his ministry. Many people, I can't go to ministry, I want to go out. No, 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 no. Come under authority for training and development and let them release you. And so he comes under the authority of John and then we find the heavens open up and the anointing comes on. And most people miss out that little bit. Yeah. We're all caught up with the anointing and don't realize it was the alignment that opened the way. Then straight after that, in uh, Luke 4 verse 1, uh, immediately said he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tested. So now he's still under authority. So all of Jesus' ministry is a ministry under authority leaning to be obedient to the will of someone else. So if we're going to be kingdom people, we're called to represent our Father and implement His plans, not do our own thing. Doing your own thing is the spirit of lawlessness, and it puts you into and under the influence of the kingdom of darkness. That's why if you want to move in deliverance, suddenly all the spirit realm becomes real, and you now get the fear of God. You've got to line up. I don't want to be out of covering. I want to stay under my Father's direction and will because in that place is the place of blessing and protection. I got a bit sidetracked. Anyway, there we go. How about that? And so here's some guys that are trying hard in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. The, the sons of Sceva thought, this is a good thing. Lots of people demonized. And we could make some bucks off this. So they call themselves exorcists which you don't ever hear in the Bible. It's the only place you hear it in the Bible, from the, those who are imitators. The exorcists are imitators. <laughs> Here it is. So, so here's the imitators. And uh, uh, Acts 19, verse 11. Now, that God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. Even handkerchiefs of aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. The anointing was so present in the cloths that he carried. They absorbed the anointing on his life, that apostolic authority. Then, verse 13, took some itinerant Jewish exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And they were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest or chief priest who did this. And the demon, the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? And not good to have them say, who are you? 
You better have an answer when they say, who are you? And they couldn't answer it (laughs) because they had no revelational relationship with God. They were imitating and copying a method. Deliverance flows out of relationship and being under authority. It's not about learning all the methods and copying the methods. Jesus was never a method man. He changed the way he did things all the time. He was led by the Holy Ghost. So you're not under, under uh, you know, you've not got a method, and we box the method up and sell you the method. My goodness. See? So they had no authority and power because they had no standing with God. They had no rank in the spirit realm. And here's where you start to realize New Zealanders struggle with this issue. Because we're an egalitarian society, we want it's a reaction from our spiritual roots coming from Britain, a reaction to class structure called the tall poppy syndrome. But it affects the way New Zealanders think. So if someone rises up and comes up, we want, well, who do they think they are? Think they're better than us. Hey, pull them down. Now, that is actually totally contrary to the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is rank and structure. In the Godhead, there is rank. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father gives the directives. The Son carries them out. The Holy Spirit empowers it. See, there's some things the Son doesn't know because they're reserved for the Father. Start to look and you'll see ranking in the Godhead. And so there's ranking in the Godhead. So there's ranking in the angelic realm. They're all ranked in, in levels of authority and spiritual positioning. And then the demonic kingdom, the devil has just copied what God set up. So he's got angelic beings who are fallen angelic beings, and there's rankings in the demonic kingdom. That's why Jesus said, oh, this kind, this kind, this rank, you can't get that one out except by prayer and fasting. In other words, he's saying there are some kinds take a bit more spirit, weight, and rank to get them out. And so that means in the Godhead there's ranking. In creation there's ranking. Throughout the angels there's ranking. So you see in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, how he's praying, trying to get a breakthrough, and then the angel's in conflict with the angel prince of Persia, and he was in conflict until a greater angel of greater authority came and helped him. Michael the angel came and helped him. Then he got the breakthrough. So you see this issue of ranking. Now, Kiwis have a bit of a trouble with it because we don't see it, that actually God ranks people. For example... If you have a look, God has explained the, the governmental structure of how society should work. So, first of all, the family. Now, <clears throat> Christ is the head of the man, the man's the head of the woman, and so on. And God is the head of Christ. It's very clearly laid out there. But headship is not to do with value. Headship is to do with the function of government and of leadership. And so there's an order we must align with if we want to operate under God's authority. Now, it's a whole area of its own, that. But... <laughs> This, this is everywhere. See, we're called to honor and pray for those who are in civil authority, not run them down or abuse them because we disagree with them and their policies. So you just show you're a rebel at heart. All authorities are set in place by God. So who, he who resists the authority resists God. Romans 13, verse 1. So there's a whole area. I've got a bit of a manual on that, and they've got some teachings around it. But I just want to give you a little bit of an outline that we need to recognize we live in a physical world where there are different rankings of people, 
with different levels of authority and influence, and we live in a spirit realm where there's also different levels and rankings, and we are to rightly position ourselves in humility. In other words, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. So those who are obviously over you, treat them with respect and honor. So when you become a kingdom man, you become very conscious of spiritual rank and authority. It's got nothing to do with age. It's got to do with the stature God has given them. And when you recognize what God put on a man you recognize, or a woman, you're recognizing the authority of God. He has the right to do it. He positions people as it pleases him. I won't go into this. I'm going to th just throw it out, though. In the coming kingdom, we will all vary in ranks and authorities depending on how we've served out our assignment on the earth. In heaven now, when you go into heaven, death doesn't fix you up. Death is your enemy. It stops you having that opportunity to continue your assignment on the earth. You've come to an end. And you enter eternity in the condition you're in. And so there are ranks in eternity. Ranks of nearness to God. Anyway, we won't get distracted from that. We're just, I'm just trying to get you to see the principles of the kingdom are that there, are, there is structure, there's order, there are ranks. Know your rank and stay in your rank. Don't shove others and don't pull the top people down or beat up on the ones below you. You're there to represent your father and serve out his purpose for you. So, for example, for a husband, being the head is not making you important. It means you've got a responsibility to God. And your responsibility is to protect and to provide and to give guidance and direction and leadership in your marriage and family. When you refuse to do it, you're rebelling against God, uncovering your wife and children and making room for demonic spirits to come into a disordered family situation. Anyway, we won't go too far down here. But, the, but you have to see this. This is how the spirit world works. It's not hard. If you're in a rugby team, everyone should know who the captain is. And if he gives you directions, follow them. You say, no, no, I've got a better idea. I'm going for it. And <laughs> You won't be in the team much longer because you're not a team player. You're an independent. And independence is the characteristics of, God's, uh, of the kingdom of darkness. So that's why... This, if we're going to operate in the kingdom of God, we've got to understand that. So my first, whenever I meet people, my first sense is to feel the rank they carry and then submit to it as greater than mine. And when I come to a church, I recognize the rank that the senior leader has and come to serve him. And he in turn recognizes what I carry and can release it then to bless the people. But I can't just come and do my own thing. That's operating illegally. I know you're thinking about this. People will go quiet when we start to talk about these things. Well, that's why in Matthew, I'll just stay a little bit further. I better get back to this. But this is all kingdom stuff. So in Matthew 7, 24, in about 23, 24, Jesus says this. He said, many, many, that's a big number. Lots and lots and lots and lots. She'll say in that day. So what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. Next one down, verse 25. I know, we'll just go up a back button, 724, 720, uh, 724, go back up, 24, 22, 23, somewhere around about there. Just go a little further up with that, Matthew 7, 22, there we are. Many shall say in that day, 
Lord, Lord. We did these things. So he said, we prophesied. Wow. And we cast out demons and did many wonders. Now, you, we've just seen the sons of Sceva were not in relationship, had no rank or authority, no empowering to do the job. They were overcome by the demons, beaten up, and fled. Now, you don't read that and think, oh, don't do deliverance, you'll get beaten up. No, 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 that's not true. The point of that, Jesus said very clearly, he said, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, all the power of them, and nothing shall harm you. You've got to believe that. And when they start demon manifests, then you know whether you believe it or whether it's just a Bible verse. <laughs> when, that, when that guy stood up and he crushed that apple in front of me and we're, we're eyeballing to eyeball, we're about this close to one another. He's got the apple squishing it and squishing you know. You need to know that verse. <laughs> Nothing shall harm you. And, and, and I stood and, and he just fell over backwards. How about that? I've had them come at me wanting to throttle me. They never get very far. I was in one church, and I had these lovely men helping me. Then it turns out they're the security team. I said, why, why do you have a security team? They said, well, the last time you were here, we found all these weapons under the seats. I, so we got a security team. And I said, oh, really? And then one of the security team manifests, I got him delivered. I, he's no good for security after that. He, he just lost it. And we had one guy come up, and he said, they said, could you pray for this guy? And I looked at him and thought, oh, we'll bring the team over. It's going to be exciting and because uh, we've just done a big deliverance meeting. And, and anyway, I said, what, what, what do you want? And he said, I came here to kill you. I said, oh, really? That's nice. You got any weapons? I might have to sort that one out quickly. And he said, no, no weapons. I said, well, how come? I've been walking around everywhere praying for people. Why didn't you do anything? I mean, I was just wanting to find out. He said, I couldn't. Said, what stopped you? I don't know. He said, it's like there's a big force field. I couldn't get anywhere near you. I said, well, we're near now. <laughs> and I confronted the demon. He had a massive deliverance, got set free. So, so you've got to see there, nothing will harm you if you're aligned. You position yourself under direction so you can be a winning team. So deliverance requires to be a winning team. You and the Holy Ghost. You're a winning team when you're aligned. When you're out doing your own thing, not going to win. You may get lashbacks of various kinds, and that happens until you learn, be aligned. It's really quite a much. So notice here it says, uh, many shall say in that day, and I will say to you, the Lord says, I will say to you, I did not know you. Now you think, well, that can't be Christian. No, no, this word know is the word I did not have an intimate relationship with you. You never opened your life to be vulnerable to me. You are workers of lawlessness. That word, they're workers of iniquity. That word means, essentially, you promoted yourself. You use the giftings and ministries to promote yourself and advance yourself. This was never about my kingdom. This was about you building your kingdom. So I blessed people because I love them and care for them, and I worked through you, but you got misled to think that that means what you're doing I approve of. So when God looks at our life and our works and our ministry, He looks not just to what we did, but the motivation for doing it. So God can bless the people that were under your ministry, but disapprove of you for the why you're doing it. That's what's in the scripture here. 
And so that's why if we're going to move in the realm of the supernatural, realm of the kingdom, we must understand kingdom dynamics and kingdom principles. So, 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 <clears throat> so if we want to operate in authority, we must submit and position ourselves under authority. Okay, so well, when we talk kingdom, then what do we mean kingdom? What do we mean kingdom? Man. Well, the word kingdom is the word basileia, means sovereignty or absolute rule. Sovereignty or rule. Now, we live in a democracy. So therefore, in a democracy, I got my vote. <laughs> and so it's all about me choosing what I want. In a, in a sovereignty, it's not about that at all. A sovereignty is a kingdom. It's where you come and there's a king and the king has a plan and everyone cooperates with the plan. And if you don't cooperate with the plan, you're rebelling against the king, which is why the devil got into such trouble, of course. So, so the word kingdom then, is wherever it's used, means sovereignty or authority or right to rule. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the right of God to rule and have his will done. And so we come into alignment with that and to partnership with him in achieving his will in the earth. And that's what sonship looks like. It's cooperating with my father to get my father's work done. So kingdom always has a king. There's always a king. King is a ruler. God is the absolute ruler. When God is asked to describe, just says, I'll tell you who I am. He says uh, in... in uh, in Exodus, anyway, he says, he, said, he says this, I am the Lord, the Lord God. So he says who he is. So notice he doubles up on the Lord. When, they, when he says it twice, he wants you to understand. He is the, that word Lord is the word Jehovah, meaning the, uh, the uh, eternal, unchanging one, the sovereign ruler over all. I am the Lord, the Lord God. He describes who he is. And uh, when he describes who he is, he's giving out his identity, his nature. This is who I am. I am the supreme ruler over all of creation. In the New Testament, the word Lord is the word kurios, the Greek word meaning supreme authority. Now, many people kind of have this kind of thing of Jesus saves me, but the Lordship thing, well, let's not worry about that. I just want to come and get blessed. I want the church to look after me. Now, listen, that's not what the message of the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about a kingdom. There are two kingdoms. You, you put yourself under one by surrender to Christ. You live in that one by ongoing surrender and working with him to fulfill his design for your life and not being influenced by the values of the other kingdom. When we stop cooperating, we come under the influence of the other kingdom. It's just as simple as that. The, the devil is given the right to rule when we cooperate with him and believe what he thinks. So, so anyway, so there's a king. So, so, so a kingdom then, it always has a king, a ruler, someone in charge, someone whose word stands. It has a kingdom, a realm of subjects that he rules over. And there's also governance. There's rules and ways of governing, how the relationship is defined. So you've got to understand that no matter where you go, this is God's design. So like a country where everyone breaks the rules is called an, this anarchy. If the whole thing's lawless, it breaks down. It, in order to govern a realm, there has to be guides or rules that people accept. Even driving down the road, you can't just say, I'll just, I'll just go any speed I like, any side I like. I, I'm, no one tells me what to do. Well, you're going to end up with chaos and eventually an encounter with authority. But you understand it's because you didn't understand that being in the kingdom requires understanding the principles and ways the kingdom operates. So Christians come to church 
and mostly get a soft version of the gospel and not solid kingdom teaching about the values of the kingdom, the, the, the lifestyle of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom. We're left in a very immature state. And so the message of, of fivefold ministry must be the kingdom because that was Jesus' ministry. He came to proclaim the kingdom. So often churches will talk about church and church building, all that kind of stuff. Jesus said, I'll build the church, proclaim the kingdom, that there's an invisible kingdom. That kingdom is here now and available. That kingdom is also coming. So there's two aspects to the kingdom. The kingdom that's here now. Matthew 4, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, near now. It's accessible to you now. It's entered through surrender to Jesus Christ. But the kingdom is also coming. So there's one part or aspect which is here now, and we taste the powers of the age to come. But in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, he talks about his kingdom will come. He will come in his kingdom with glory and power. And when he comes in his kingdom, you will come suddenly to realize that your time here now is your preparation for your role in that kingdom. So he calls all believers to appear before him to be evaluated how they served him and what qualification they've obtained for the coming kingdom, which will go on for eternity. We all appear. There's no exceptions to that. So when you get this simple message, it's actually deception because you don't realize now is your growth as sons and daughters. Now is your maturing period. Now God has called you to serve him and advance his king. It doesn't matter what the assignment is. That's not important. What's important is your faithfulness to fulfill it. And so the parables are full of these stories about the kingdom coming and about what we need to do to prepare. And there are three aspects of what we need to do, which are all connected to what sonship looks like. I'll just take you to John 17 and verse 3. John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know means intimate personal relationship, like a husband and a wife sharing lives and interacting with one another, walking together in union. So one of the aspects of the kingdom then is intimacy. So in the parable of the virgins, which is a parable of the kingdom coming, there are five wise, five foolish, the five foolish that fail to prepare. They fail to build intimacy. The five wise ones took the time to build their prayer life, establish intimacy, a supply of oil, a supply of the presence of God in their own life through their own endeavors, own activities. And there was an outcome for that. Second thing, Jesus, I finished the work you gave me to do. So all sons have an assignment. Now, it doesn't matter what your assignment is. What's important is we, you're faithful in it, that you actually do what God called you to do because your assignment is just like your apprenticeship for the kingdom. And so we see that in the parable of the talents. Those who are faithful and little, faithful and much. And you notice there the, the parable of the talents, they're all given different amounts. It wasn't how much they were given that was important, it's what they did with it. This is why teaching on the kingdom is so important. Not just for the issue of deliverance, but for understanding the whole purpose of God. And then the third area, which is uh, the area, he said, I have manifested your name. I have manifested your name. 
Now, what does it mean to manifest your name? To manifest your name, and the name of someone is the nature or who they are. Jesus is saying, by my lifestyle, I have revealed to people what you are like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that tells us then we're called to do three things in sonship. One, build an intimate relationship with God as Father. Two, fulfill our assignment that he's given us. And three, to mature, to let the Holy Spirit bring transformation to our life. Surrender to the transformation process. The transformation includes healing, deliverance, shaping of your heart values, and building of a character that's based on kingdom values. You're really quiet now. Tell someone they should be listening. <laughs> this is for them. <laughs> anyway, so I'm getting off track. I need to stay, stay focused. Here we are. So when it comes to the kingdom, there's no neutral place. No neutral place. Now, so man, now let me get on to this area. I'll just take a little tack now. We were created for dominion. You're actually created and designed by God uniquely. You're, you're a spirit being in the image of God, living in a body with capacity to engage the spirit realm and engage the physical realm. We're designed for expressing God's kingdom rule in the earth. And so we were designed for that in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Psalm 8, verses 4 through to 6. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over all the works of your hands. You were made for dominion, not over people. You serve people. We're made for dominion over creation. And so we were designed for that. So when God created Adam and Eve, he uh, not only <clears throat> uh, put them in a garden or a territory, or gave them a, a place to fulfill their assignment, but he also empowered them as well. So he gave them empowerment. So he empowered us, or empowered man, to operate as a representative of the Father. Now look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. So God had prepared the territory or the assignment before he prepared the man. How about that? Just as God prepared works for you before he made you. So you're not an accident, even if your circumstances of entering the earth are anything but ideal. Nevertheless, God designed an assignment and a territory for you to fill it. That's why we should be where God called us to be, not just going wherever we want to go. 2.15, Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it or to cultivate it and guard it. Uh, there's lots could be said there. I'm just going to keep just down to just a, a simple thing. God gave man, he put him in the garden or he gave him an area he had prepared. Now that is a territory. He gave him a territory or an assignment. And here's the assignment in the territory. So God has a territory for you. That means everything he's called you to be responsible for. That's your territory. So don't worry about what someone else is doing. You make sure you find out what you're responsible for. As a husband, as a wife, as a leader, as a child, everyone has got responsibilities. Responsibility how you mature and grow. Notice why you give them two responsibilities. Cultivate. So whatever God puts you over, he expects you to cultivate it so it becomes fruit-bearing. Cultivate the marriage so it's a beautiful, loving marriage. Cultivate your finances so they provide a legacy for the next generation. Cultivate your family so they're God-honoring, God-fearing children. Whatever you're called to be over, cultivate it. You've got a, a business, cultivate the business so it becomes a profitable business. We're all called to cultivate, to produce fruit. Second thing you notice he calls him to do, he said, guard it. Now, people, you know this verse, of course, but have you thought of this? 
that God introduces man to the reality there is a spiritual warfare you are engaged in. And he says, now this is what you need to do. You need to guard it. Now to guard means to stand watch over something and to take action when you see danger. And God gave him the authority needed to subdue the devil, gave him the authority needed to protect what he was given. And so the failure of Adam was he listened to someone else and didn't follow what God instructed to give him. And when the temptation came, he was silent. Still a problem these days, listening to the wrong voices and being silent when you should be speaking up and making a stand. Well, think about it. So he was introduced to warfare right at the beginning. So right at the very beginning, there's a warfare takes place. And then you see how the warfare progressed up until that point. Whenever you see God referred to, it's always the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. It appears about 12 times in Genesis 2, 4, right through to 3, 1. The Lord God. In other words, it's saying that he is the supreme <coughs> ruler. He is the king. This is a kingdom. He has the right to rule and have dominion. That's what he said. And, and when the devil comes to Eve, he, he drops out Lord, just uses God. So we're juicing it down from someone that supreme ruler you need to obey and you'll give account to to now. He's just another God. What was he saying? What was that we was saying? You know, do you really think that? And he begins to sow doubt and, and, and erode the character of God, the reputation of God. And that's how problem comes when we actually disrespect who he is and then begin to think our opinion is as good as his opinion. And so we see then the fall of man. Now, Adam, when Adam lost his authority, I don't know if he's even aware what happened. In Luke 4 verse 6, the devil... Uh, spoke to Jesus and said, he showed him all the kingdoms of this world. So he took him into a spirit realm to see. Now in, in the natural realm, we're limited by time space. In the spirit realm, it's unlimited. So he's taken him into the spirit realm to see kingdoms. He said, all this I'll give to you for it is delivered or given to me. That word given is the word, Luke 4, 6, it means to surrender to me. Adam surrendered the right to rule this. Adam yielded up the right to rule. Adam gave up the right to rule. And the word also means to betray. Adam betrayed what his father entrusted him, and now it's all mine. I rule it. Here's the thing. God gave man dominion. When man surrendered it to the devil, God didn't suddenly interrupt because he can't override his principles. He will never override. See, so the earth is given to man, which is why we need to pray. Because in, I'll just step back a bit. In a business, if you delegate a department to someone to run, you can't go into the department as the boss and then tell everyone what to do and undermine the leader. If you gave him the job, you gave him the job, support him and advise him. But don't go do the job and interfere and undermine his authority. It's the same with us. God gave the earth to man. He will not come in and undermine and erode or work under us. He requires us to reach out to him by faith and work with him by aligning with him. So prayer brings us into alignment so heaven can come to earth. Don't you see that there? So he says it's all been handed over. Jesus never argued. He just rebuked him. He confronted him with the word of God. And then finally, Jesus uh, regained the authority that had been lost. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, by his death on the cross, he gained back the authority that was lost. Let's have a look at Colossians 2, 14 and 15. 
We'll touch. We'll come back onto this. I just want to just touch it so you see it very clearly in writing that the first son failed and surrendered the authority. And when you fail and surrender authority, demonic powers use what was yours against you. There's no vacuum here. They always come in and fill the gap. We saw with Adam how his problem was. He listened to his wife when he should have listened to God. And when the devil spoke, he was silent when he should have spoken up. And it's still a problem for men today is listening to other voices instead of listening to God and being silent when they should be speaking up and acting to protect what God has entrusted them. He failed to protect his wife. He failed to govern the territory. He failed in his leadership. And of course, it's been a problem ever since. And men have got to learn how to get back and own that responsibility again and learn how to lead as Jesus wants us to lead so that the family then is protected from demonic invasion and assaults and all kinds of stuff. Okay. So Colossians 2 and uh, verse 14 and 15, having forgiven all the trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us and contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So when Jesus finished his work of demonstrating the kingdom of God operating in a man, surrendered to the Father, he then ultimately laid his life down. And in doing so, there's a divine exchange. He became the altar and he became the sacrifice. And when he gave up his life and gave up and shed his blood, he now has acted in a spiritual transaction. So when the first Adam, the first Adam sinned, what he didn't realize, the moment he sinned, there was a spiritual transaction took place and all right to rule was forfeited. This is the problem of sin. You're not always aware straight away what you lost when you sinned. But over time, you become aware now something has gained access to you to bring oppression and bondage to your life. And we, we talk on legal rights and how demons enter people, you'll understand it. Now, all of this, I'm laying a, a, a framework of thinking. It'll come down. It'll become very practical and very simple. And I'll show you just step by step what you do to get someone delivered. Not really that hard, but it helps if you understand the importance of the ministry and Jesus' ministry and, and intention we carry it on and understand the reality of a kingdom. So you're not just thinking about moving in the spirit, a little bit of this. You're actually thinking about alignment, surrender, and doing the way God wants, when he wants, and how he wants, and learning to operate as a person under authority. Otherwise, you can get into a little bit of difficulties. <laughs> well, you learn through those too, you know. God lets you learn through all of that as well. So, so and you notice here that Jesus, by his obedience as a son, has now actually taken all authority back. And instead of now, well, I'm taking all back to heaven and I'll rule from heaven, now he entrusts the authority to us. Get this. If God wants to, he can send an angel and consign the devil into a pit so he can't do anything. In fact, the Bible tells us just before the millennial reign, that's exactly what he'll do. You read the book of Revelation. Great angel came out and chained up the day, the devil and threw him in a pit and he couldn't do anything for a thousand years. Now, that tells us then, <clears throat> this is not a battle of a big kingdom against another big kingdom. This is, this is a warfare worked out on the earth between a defeated kingdom and a superior kingdom, which is coming. So if God is waiting for a certain timing, what's the whole purpose of leaving all the demons here? 
That's a good question. See, he could have just dealt with them then. Unleash the angel. Unleash the kraken. You know, unleash the angel. You know, bind the devil, take all the demons to hell. Let's just have a bit of peace around here now. He didn't do that. Because, and it's described in this way in, in the, the book of uh, Judges, I think. There were many of the children of Israel who never learned the art of war. So God left some of the enemies in the land so they could learn how to fight. How will you ever learn how to fight and develop strong spirit and live under authority if you don't have something to stand up to? How do you get fit if you don't go to a gym? Or do some exercise? I mean, you, you, don't, get, you, just get, you don't just get strong, come out and hold a call. Oh, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get muscles and strong. You're not going to happen. You've got to work out. So how's God going to develop strength in you? You've got to work out. There's got to be an engagement in warfare. You are called to warfare. That's part of who you are. And not only that, it's not something to be frightened of. This is an honor given to the saints. You, you read Psalm 149. It talks about binding the high praises of God in their mouth, the word in, 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 in their lips, the word of God in their mouth, and binding the princes in fetters and chains of iron. This honor have all the saints. So all saints have the honor of defeating demonic spirits wherever you find them in your territory. It's what you're called to do. Defeat them. How can you defeat them if you don't understand your position, your position, your authority, your standing? and the mandate to overcome them. That's what apostolic is. Overcome the things. Go in and invade. When I uh, started teaching in a high school in Dannyvec after my demon-demon encounter, I'm all fired up now, and I, and I felt the Lord say, go pray in the school. So I'd go around there at night and get in the you know, teacher, so I had the access to the place. So I'd go and I'd, uh, I'd walk around the school at nighttime. It was very dark. I deliberately didn't turn the lights on so I could feel what was there. My goodness, you could feel stuff already. And I'd walk around, pray, and pray in tongues, take authority over what was there. And then I said, go into your classroom, and every day I want you to pray in your classroom. It's your territory. Everyone who comes there comes into your jurisdiction. I want you to subdue every demon that comes into the room on the back of a child. And so every day I would stand to take authority, bind those spirits, every spirit coming in on each child, lay hands and pray on the seats, decree blessing and learning and, and a peaceful environment and, and so on. I did that every day. And that's taking, that's taking dominion in your territory. Now, I didn't think anything much of it until one day a teacher came up to me about a couple of months later. She said, hey, what's up with your room? It's a strange room. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I, I do study classes around the school, different classes, but it's always messy. You know, the kids are restless. I've got to really work to keep them and, and to do some learning. And she said, but I come here, it's all peaceful. I get my own work done, and they all settle down their work. It's very peaceful in this room. I said, really? How interesting is that? She said, what did you do? Why is this room different? I said, you don't want to know that. And she said, no, 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 you tell me. I said, no, you don't want to know. Anyway, she pressed me. She pressed me, asked me four times or something. I said, okay, I'll tell you, but you're telling me the room is peaceful. She said, yes. I said, I'll tell you why. And I told her. She went, <sighs> she, she couldn't believe. I said, I told you you would have trouble believing, but you've told me it's real. Think about that. Now, just standing in the class one day, just between classes, two girls walk by, and then they start shaking. When they stood at the door, they yelled out to me, hey, sir, what's up with your room? It's weird. I said, what do you mean weird? And they said, it is. It's, the, it's a weird room. We, we walk around the school. Everything's okay. We come by your room. We start shaking. And I said, what? 
I'd never seen anyone shake before. They said, yeah, we shake. And I said, well, come on in then. I brought them in. Sure enough, they're shaking. I've never seen shaking. They're really going for it once they got in. Man, once they're in the room, they're now really shaking. It, it's not, not a little thing. It's now big. And I'm thinking, man, what is that? And then suddenly it dawned on me, oh, you girls have been involved in the occult. And what's in you is reacting to what's in my room. The presence of God is here. Now, I was, I was on a good roll. And I heard these words come out of my mouth. And I can stop that shaking. And the moment I said them, I thought, you've never seen shaking. How do you know you can stop it? <laughs> they said, okay, do it. I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a go. They said, well, close your eyes. So there's, <laughs> close my eyes. You know, there's the two prayers I prayed, the one they didn't hear. Help, what to do? <laughs> the Lord, just show me, just, just pray. In Jesus' name, I take authority. I bind each of these occult spirits. I command you to stop shaking. And they just stopped like that. It was just instant. I thought, wow. That's just in a classroom. I could tell a story. We're running out of time for a story. And I'm trying to teach you that God calls us to be apostolic, to not be afraid of these things, but to actually subdue them. Some of the problems you're facing there's a hidden war in the spirit realm, and you've got to rise up and push back on it. Assert your authority over it and decree the Word of God. Shape your world by the Word of God. Subduing the demons and building the future you're believing for by the Word of God. That's how it works. That's how it started in creation. God shaped this world by His Word. So we've got to take God's words and become the voice for God's word. It activates angels, alters the atmosphere, brings the presence of God, subdues demons. Man, all these things we've been given. Isn't this an honor? What an honor. This honor has been given to all the saints to be kingdom ambassadors, sons and daughters of the living God, representing our Father. Now, to represent, it means you carry on like he would carry on. Your character and nature are like his. You're loving, you're patient, you're kind, and you're an agent of truth, an agent of justice. So you've got to learn to get to know your father, let him change you, so you carry greater maturity and can carry greater influence. And then recognize what your assignment is. It's different for everyone. Just find what God called you to do. It changes through your life. I remember leading a movement of churches, and when I resigned, they said, what are you, why? Why would you do that? You're going to start another one, are you? And I, I said, why would I do that? I've done this for 10 years. I said, here's what. God called me to do it. And I said, yes. And then God told me to finish. And I've said, yes. I have no interest in doing it again. God hasn't told me to do that. And I could see people struggling because for them, the power and the influence and the position was everything. I said, but you'll be nothing. I said, no, I won't change at all. It'll still be me. I'll still be me. It's just, it's just I finished doing that. Now I'm doing this. Can you understand that? It's, it's, it's in the way we think. Think kingdom. Think sonship. Think of bringing the kingdom of God into this earth. Father in heaven, we honor your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Brilliant. Let's all stand. Come on, let's all stand. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> let's all stand and give a, give a come on. Give God, Mike, a God bless.